this morning. <clears throat> I prefer to go to churches that start the main service at 10 o'clock so that I can uh, be finished by 11.45 and beat the Pentecostals to lunch. So um, you guys starting at 11 puts a, a crimp there on my style. So we may just be behind them in line. Colossians chapter number 2, verse 13 and 14. And he says, And uh, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for your word, and I thank you that it's always relevant, always true. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it to speak powerfully to our hearts, that you'd stir us this morning. I pray, Lord, that there's someone here that doesn't yet know you, that you would draw them unto yourself. Lord, that they might know the great uh, plan that you have for their lives, that they might experience the great knowledge to know that all of our sins have been dealt with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, all of us, every single one of us, were born dead in sin. It's hard for us to understand you know, what that means, but it's the idea that, that we were all born with a spiritual birth defect. We were born dead. Now you say, well, what part of me was dead when I was born? And uh, it, obviously my physical body was alive to come into this world. Uh, I had the ability to think or to feel, to choose my soul. Maybe though not fully developed, I had feelings. But when Jesus or when the scripture talks to us about being dead, it means that our spirits... That God consciousness, the ability to relate to God that makes us unique from all other creation that, that had been broken. It was unable to relate to God. When a, let me try and explain it this way. Death doesn't mean we cease to exist. Now, when we say somebody died, we, we might think, well, they ceased to exist. But when we think about it, that's not true, is it? When, when we die... We would say that there is a new relationship between the soul and spirit to the body. Because the soul and the spirit continue to live. But we have a new relationship to the physical body. When, when it talks about a spiritual death, it doesn't mean that we cease to exist. It means we have a new relationship or a different way of interacting with God. Now, the reality is we were all born with a sinful nature. We were all born, the scripture tells us over and over again, born dead to God, unable to relate to God, alienated from God. When I was driving up here from uh, San Francisco um, on uh, Wednesday, I always like looking when you drive through Petaluma because you see those cows off in those fields there. So let me ask you something. What, what noise do cows make? Very good. <clears throat> Now, what makes a cow a cow? Does a cow become a cow by mooing? 
or does a cow moo because it's a cow? Was that too complicated? <laughs> now, you know, you say, well, obviously, uh, Brother Tim, a cow moos because it is a cow. Mooing doesn't make you a cow, or we would have certainly transformed into cows right here. Um, now, you say, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Why do we sin? Does sinning make us a sinner or do we sin because we were born sinners? You see, the scripture makes it very clear that we were all born alienated from God. We were all born with a sinful nature. Um, And it is true that even when a child is born, you never have to teach it to do wrong. Now, certainly as they become teens, they develop in their capacity to do wrong, but you don't have to teach them to do wrong, do you? They simply know how to do it. I remember that uh, when the day of innocence was broken in my heart with my own children, my son Ryan, some of you remember when we were in Roner Park, members of Bree and my, our oldest son Ryan was just a little guy, and uh, our second child, Megan, they're three years apart, and Megan I was watching Megan and Ryan do something, and, you know, I watched Ryan do something that he knew was wrong to do. And being a stupid parent, I asked him, Ryan, uh, who did such and such? Now, I don't know why parents ask those kinds of questions. I mean, I saw him do it. Why did I put him in the position to have to lie? But we do, because kids are smarter than parents. And uh, I asked him, and he looked at me, and he said, May May did it. That's what he called Megan. Of course, she could not speak. (laughs) She had that look like, oh, no, I'm innocent. Now, I said to myself, who taught this beautiful child of mine to, to lie? I didn't teach him to lie. His mother didn't teach him to lie. His sister had no capacity to teach him to lie. Where did this come from? Well, he was born with it. He inherited it from his father, who inherited it from his father, who inherited it from his father, all the way back to Adam. The scripture tells us that we inherited this great capacity for sin. A dead person, the scripture tells us, That's what we were born, dead, alienated from God. But think about this, a dead person can do nothing for himself. I know it may be disturbing, you come in here and if you're a guest, you may be saying, what is this guy talking about? He's jumping on me, calling me dead from the very beginning. But the reality is that's what scripture says, that you were born dead, alienated from God, incapable of doing anything to improve your condition. So imagine that you have a a corpse, you say, this guy's dead. What can a dead person do for themselves? Can a dead person even bury themselves? A dead person has to rely on the loved ones to take the corpse and to bury it. A dead person can do nothing for themselves. Now, I am the first to admit that the world, doesn't matter where you are, in Asia or America or Europe, the world doesn't like to talk about sin. They like to call it error. 
a mistake, flaw, or even a defect. But God calls it sin, and sin separates us from God, our Creator. Now, we like to grade our sin. You, you know, you probably heard me joke about it. When I was raised a Catholic, in Catholicism, we had this great, rich, deep theology between venial and mortal sins. The venial sins were the sins that were considered minor. I mean, that wasn't that they were good, but if you died with a venial sin, you wouldn't go straight to hell. But if you died with a mortal sin, then... <clears throat> Yeah, do not pass, go, no purgatory, you are in the infernal regions. Now, uh, you say, well, those Catholics, they've just blown it. But you knew, you Baptists, you have the same thing. And I may have joked about this before, but we have our own way of grading certain sins. Certain sins are acceptable sins because there are sins. <clears throat> and other sins are totally unacceptable because they're somebody else's. In a family, you do it. You know, the husband has his sins. They're, they're acceptable because they're his, but his wife's sins are atrocious. And vice versa. Now, does God have a grading system on sin? You know, A, B, C, D, F, venial or mortal? No, the reality is the scripture tells us even the smallest sin in our eyes, if there is such a thing as a small sin, has the same wage or the same result. It is a fruit unto death. It separates us from God. Sin always produces death. And when you think about it, there are no degrees of death. I mean, you're just dead. And that's what we were, alienated from God. A, a dead person can't improve themselves. They must depend on someone else to do it. A, a dead person has no capacity to improve their spiritual condition. So the first thing that you and I need to recognize is that if we're going to come to Jesus, if we're going to experience God, we have to understand that we are dead. And as dead people, we have no ability to improve our spiritual condition. Now, this is contrary to much of religion that teaches you how to step-by-step step improve yourself so that you could have the new and improved Tim Ekno and the newly, newly improved Tim Ekno, like it was some kind of uh, detergent being sold at the supermarket. <clears throat> Actually, I think they're all basically the same, but it's a marketing scheme to get us to buy the new and the newly, newly improved. And somehow we think, well, I'll just come to Berean and I will improve myself and therefore make myself acceptable to other people. And I will put myself on a track to gradually keep improving. But a dead person can't improve their spiritual condition. You must come to the point where you realize... Uh, you are separated from your creator, unable to help yourself, but he has a wonderful plan to reconcile you. And so he said, and you being dead in your sin. And then he goes and he says this strange term. He says the uncircumcision of your flesh. Well, Paul was referring to a Jewish ritual that had to do with the cutting away it was a ritual that separated the Jew from all other people, made them unique. 
And Paul was writing to the Gentile believers who were born separated from God, both because of their sin and because they were alienated from the people of God. You see, our sinful nature has to be cut away in order for us to come to Christ. Until until our sinful nature is cut away, we can't come to Christ. We were born separated from God because of this sinful nature, this nature that we inherited from our parents. This is a wonderful thing because uh, teenagers, there are a wonderful group of you there, smile at me, come on. Hey, there you go. Um, you need to find a way to blame your parents for most everything. I mean, it's true, isn't it? That it is incredible that people as ignorant as your parents could bring life into this world. And uh, that will happen around the age of 12, 13, and develop until you hit 40, when your parents will suddenly become the most brilliant people that ever lived. But here, I'm giving you an out. I'm, I'm telling you this is the way it is. Your parents are to blame for your problems. Had they not been sinners themselves, you would not have inherited a sinful nature. So it's all your fault, Dad. And you can blame it on your father, who can blame it on his father, who can blame it on his father, all the way back to Adam and Eve. You see, in a sense, we can say, yes, it's not our fault. We inherited this nature. But if we're going to have a union with Christ, if we're going to be restored to our created purpose, that old nature had to be cut away. And so he says, you were born in this uncircumcision of your flesh. But then he says this wonderful thing. Listen, Jesus never laid out a thing about how to reduce your sin. Do you notice that when he teaches? He never says, listen, um, I just want you to cut back. Last night you drank a six pack and he says, well, tomorrow just drink five. And next week drink four, three, two, one. And then finally we'll, we'll get you sober. That's, is that how he works? He says, I want you to go from telling big lies to medium lies to small lies to eventually not lying. Is that how Jesus taught now, and when I put it that way, you're going, well, that's ridiculous. But the reality is some people think by reducing the quantity or the quality of their sin that they can solve their problem. But the reality is the sinful nature had to be cut away. And then Jesus says, he, 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 the scripture says, he quickened us together with him. Because we were born with this spiritual birth defect of sin, we needed life. Because we were born spiritually dead, we needed spiritual life. So Jesus came not only to take care of our sin, but to give us what a dead man needs most. Now, I've lived and worked in communist countries that have uh, a nationalized medicine and health care. And I don't mean to get involved in a debate that may take place in this country. But I mean, I think we need to do something. But... Listen, national health care isn't what you might think. Come to Vietnam. Go to the Soviet Union and I'll show you how effective it can be. Now, in a communist country, you don't have rights. The people have rights, which means the party has rights, which means the Politburo has rights. And they're there to represent your rights. One thing that was amazing, we had an election 
And yes, they do have elections in communist countries. They tell you who you can vote for. It was amazing. They had, uh, in our, our town, uh, they had an election. They had uh, five positions. They put seven people on the candidate. The people with the most positive votes got elected. You weren't allowed to vote no for anybody. You just voted yes for the people that they had told you are good people. If you didn't vote, the police would come to your house to escort you to the polling station so you could exercise your duty as a citizen. Now, in healthcare, you go. So imagine that you, you've got a problem. You go to the doctor. The doctor says, man, you have a, a tumor. They do some tests. They say, yep, this tumor is cancerous, and we need to remove it. <clears throat> but because it's nationalized, they say, okay, we're going to put you in the queue or the line, and uh, then we'll do the operation. But because there's a, a big backlog, you're, you're about 180 days out before they can put you in the schedule for the surgery. So you wait, and you wait for the surgery to have the tumor removed so that you don't die. But in the process of waiting, you die. But because it's a communist country and everybody gets their surgery, no matter what happens, they bring that corpse in. They say, I'm sorry, it's time for the surgery. Bring it in. And the doctors open the corpse up and they take out the cancerous tumor. And they sew you back up and they say, well, we've done our job. We've solved this person's problem. Have they solved the problem? Well, what do you mean they haven't solved the problem? Was the problem the cancer? This cancerous tumor? Did they take the cancerous tumor out? Come on. I know you're Baptist, but you can talk in church. At least give me the head nod. Like you're still there with me. Now, the cancerous tumor was the problem, yes. And they took the tumor out, yes. Did they solve the problem? Well, you're a difficult group. You said the problem was the tumor. And they took the tumor out. And then you say they didn't solve the problem. Why didn't they solve the problem? Because he's dead. You see, this is the, this is, there's, I'm going somewhere with this, really. The issue really isn't sin. I mean, that's not the only problem. Did Jesus come and die on the cross to take the punishment of your sin? Yes, he did. But were you still dead? What does a dead man need? Life. And so what you understand here is he's teaching us, yes, you were born dead, separated, alienated from God, unable to do anything to improve your condition, but he quickened you. He gave you what you needed, what a dead person needed most, and that's life. So if you're here this morning, you say, man, I've never put my trust in Jesus. I've never received him as my savior. You can, you can say that the issue really isn't how to keep from sinning. The issue is, what do you need as a dead person? A person alienated from God, and that's life. To all of his children who were dead, he gave life. And he doesn't give us any ordinary life. He gives us his own life. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if, when you were the enemies, you were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, look at it, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. How does a person get saved? 
Thank you. Appreciate that. It's always good when one out of a hundred responds. How do you get saved? You see, it's not simply that he takes care of the sin problem because you would have just been a, a sinless corpse. He came and he gives you his own life. He implants his own life into our spirit so that we can really relate to God again. Second Peter chapter one, verse three and four says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Grab a hold of it, that you become a partaker of the divine nature. Listen, it doesn't mean, husbands, that you are divine. Contrary to what you want her to believe, you are not divine. (laughs) You have divine life in you. Every single one of us how receiving Jesus are receiving his divine life in us. Everywhere we go, we have divine life in us. Every obstacle we face, we have divine life in us. You see, this results that we have peace with God. We have peace with him, not because of our own effort, but through the sacrifice of his son. A dead person can't do anything. He has to have someone who will love him enough to do what he cannot do. And Jesus does everything we need. Why does God love you? Has that question ever rattled around in your mind? Why does God love you? Do you have children? How many of you have children? (laughs) Ah, they're wonderful aren't they do they always obey you do you shoot them when they disobey you (laughs) maybe i've shared this with you before sometime before but whenever i think about the love of god i think about when my son ryan was born i just think the, the novelty of your first child And I just couldn't believe this, you know. Here was this angelic creature, and I I would hold him in my hand. And you know when they're they're little, you you can put their head right in your hand, and their little body kind of stretches along your arm. Maybe moms don't do this, but dads do. Moms are more careful. You hold them there, and you just let their body, and then you let their, their little feet dangle there. And I would just sit there, and I would just coo at him. I mean, you just, you know, it's just amazing to me. This is mine. And I'd say, oh, Ryan, daddy loves you. You're just such a wonderful boy. And I would talk to him. Daddy loves you. And you wonder why it takes him two years to speak. If we spoke regular English to him, the kids could talk at six months probably. But, but you, don't, you don't care, man. You don't care how silly it is. All you want is for that child to know your love. 
And I would just love on him, and I would just, you know, I'm like, anything to get him to smile. I mean, that was really what it was all about. And I'd say, look, Vanessa, he's smiling at me. She goes, he's got gas. <laughs> now, the reality is, I didn't care if he was smiling because he had gas. <laughs> he did probably have gas. He's not ever gotten rid of it, actually. <laughs> but he was mine. And how did he reward me? I mean, all I did was love on him, coo at him. And what would he do in response to my love? He'd get this facial expression. And you knew bad things were about to happen. You know, like this little kid and their faces turn red and you're like, And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, what is that smell? You know, can you picture it? I want you to picture it. I mean, it's nasty. You're like, how could something this beautiful, this angelic emit that from this body? I'm not joking. Some of the things that came out of that body, if Saddam Hussein had gotten hold of, He'd still be in power today. These are truly biological weapons. And what do you do with the child that does this to you in response to your love? Vanessa! I mean, you just clean them up. I mean, you get the wipies and the plastic gloves and the nose pin and you clean them all up, man. And you dispose of everything that is contrary to his angelic nature. And you put clean clothes on them and you coo at them again. And you play with them. And what do they do? They spit up cottage cheese. That's what it looks like to me. That's why I don't eat that stuff anymore. I used to eat cottage cheese until I had kids. And I'm like, no, that is nasty. Now I know how they make it. It's like hot dogs. Once you know, it's all, you can't eat it anymore. And you clean them up. Why do you do that? Why do you love them? Because they're yours for no other reason. You don't love your kids for what they can do for you. You love your kids simply because they're yours. And God loves you because you are his. In fact, God's greatest problem is his love for us. If he didn't love us, it wouldn't be an issue. But he loves us and he uses us to show off his grace. And his grace is looking for an opportunity to be displayed. We are undeserving of his love but it gives him an opportunity to show off his grace. His love isn't conditioned by what we do. I mean, if you had kids for what they could do for you, maybe you said, well, I'm going to have some kids so they can serve me. And I'm sure the teenagers feel like that's why they had me. So go get me this, go get me that. But the reality is, man, it's a bad plan. Don't do it. Because it's not going to work the way you think. They can't do anything to reward your love or your attention, but to make a mess. He loves us not because of what we do. He loves us because of the performance of Jesus. 
It isn't what we do, but what Jesus has done on our behalf. Because dead people can't do anything. And so we needed to rely on the performance of another. And Jesus went to the cross to secure for us the love of the Father. He has quickened us together. He has united us one with him so that now we are inseparable from him. His life in us. Us in him quickened together. And then he says these wonderful things, forgiving you of all your trespasses. I don't like to impress people with my deep theological and knowledge of the Greek, but uh, I can tell you with perfect clarity the meaning of all. It means all. How many of your trespasses did he forgive? How many? He forgave you of all of your trespasses? 2,000 years ago, he went to the cross so that he could liquidate the problem? That he could forgive you of all your trespasses? Yes, friends, he's forgiven you of all. Now, some people think it means all up to now. Or all that we know about. (laughs) But God knows all that you have done. And think about this horrible thought. He knows all that you have not done yet. He knows not only your past sins and your present sins. He knows the future ones because he lives in what we call the continual present. Nothing comes as a surprise to God. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows all of your transgression. He sees your whole history, and he loves you. For this reason, he sees you, the scripture says, in the heavenly places. Your name is written in the book of life before the foundations of the world. He has forgiven all. If you have a business... You would, what we would in finance call you close the books at the end of the year. At the end of the year, when I was in uh, commercial finance, we, we closed the books. We would audit the accounts. We settled everything at the end of the year. But God closes the books before the business begins. Before the first day of business, he settles the accounts. He works it all out. You see, my peace is that he knew me from the beginning, that he predestined me, he called me. Listen, when you first got married, how many of you guys married? Okay. When you first got married, did you think you knew the person you were marrying? Yes, or women would never get married. I mean, isn't it true? You thought you knew who you were marrying. And after you were married, you were shocked because you said, who is this person? This is not the person I thought I was marrying. It is a new person in the same body. Maybe you were under the delusion that after you got married, you were going to change them. That is true delusion. (laughs) Listen, um, I better not go there. (laughs) When we first get married, we do not know each other. We still think we have this ability to change each other. But you know what? Jesus knew me. He loved me. And he killed me 
so that he can make me a new creation in Christ. You say, you say, Brother Tim, are you saying that Jesus forgave me of the sins I haven't even committed? Yes. You see, grace brings us freedom from doubt. Yes, sir, he took care of it all. So why do we worry about sin? Grace isn't just forgiveness, it's life. And he came to give us a new heart and cause us to walk in his statutes. The Holy Spirit has been given to guide us into all that he desires, the perfect will of God, the assurance that he has forgiven us of all. He gives us a perfect assurance. Really, it is the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 36. 26 and 27, and he says, a new heart also I give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You know, the reality is that security always improves performance. Do you remember when you tried to learn to ride a bike? Or you tried to teach your, your children to ride a bike? I mean, I'm totally uncoordinated. I, I mean, I really have no natural athletic ability. It's so bad that I think golf is a sport. And I remember when I was learning to ride a bike, you know, they put the training wheels on it. And uh, as soon as I was sure that those training wheels would not collapse, I took off. But I remember the day when my dad took those training wheels and he says, now you got to ride. I mean, you got to really ride. I'm like, oh, no. I mean, before I ever got on the seat, I'm already trembling, imagining the skin ripping off of my leg as I fell into the asphalt. I've got it all pictured in my mind. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt. And within a few short seconds, all of my prophecies came true. I remember one day, just, I, I, just this horrible lack of self-confidence. And, and then one day I remember seeing a bunch of my friends rip down the street on their bikes. And I thought, man, I got to catch up. I jumped on the bike and I took off. And without realizing it, I was riding my bike. You see, I quit thinking about falling off and I just thought about catching up. And I never fell off like that anymore. You see, some people think that, man, we've got to scare Christians into good performance. But the reality is we know it's true in life and in all things. Being worried doesn't help you improve your performance. But security, knowing that you're loved and accepted, improves the performance. You can get so preoccupied with failure that you're going to fail. But rest that we have in Christ gives us the freedom to endeavor great things for God. Then Colossians 2, verse number 14, he says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Some of the modern translations translate this. They, he canceled the certificate of debt. The reality is we all had a huge debt. A debt that we could not pay. And he cancels out the certificate of debt. Now I want you to suppose for a moment that in heaven there's a file for each one of us. And in this file, there's a record of everything that you have done wrong. Do you have the picture of it? Now some of us, we have expanding files. In fact, we've got our own filing drawer. <laughs> 
right? And in this, and you're just, I mean, I just want you to imagine this file and it's got, he's got the whole file there. Mine is very thick. And if you looked at that file, it would say straight to hell. Now, you and I had this huge sin debt that we couldn't pay. And the reality is we all deserved to go to hell. But Jesus, in his love, he took our entire debt and he paid it. He paid it in full. Our certificate of debt has been paid. So what purpose does it serve any longer? If you were able to pay off your mortgage or your car, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave the lien holder on that piece of paper? I mean, if you can pay off your car, it's a great day. You don't leave the lien holder's name on there a day longer. You go to the DMV. You make sure that you get a new, what they say in California, a pink slip, right? Are they still pink? Okay. And I didn't want to be outdated, you know. And you want to make sure that it just has that lien holder's name blotted out. If you have a mortgage on and you get to pay that baby off, you don't leave Bank of America or any other lien holder on there. You want that thing blotted out. So I want you to imagine this file, this certificate of debt of all of your sin. And Jesus says, I came and I forgave you of all of your trespasses and I blotted out the lien holder on it. But I got to warn you, Satan made a copy of your file. And he gave it to your spouse. (laughs) Listen. It's a false copy. Because your copy in heaven is clean. But your spouse has a false copy. Since Vanessa's not here, I'm going to tell you this joke. Guys, there's no reason for you to remember any of your mistakes. Because there's absolutely no reason for two people to remember the same thing. (laughs) Don't laugh too loud. (laughs) Just kind of chuckle quietly. You see, this is the truth. We want to remind each other of our sins, our mistakes, and our failures. But we're serving the interest of Satan and his host when we're reminding each other. Because God says, I have forgiven you of all trespasses. I have blotted out all of the ordinances that were against you. And I have nailed it to the cross. So if you want to see Tim Ekno's sin, you got to go to the cross and you'll see on the cross that the blood of Christ shed to cleanse it completely from me. If you want to see my sin, you've got to get through my dead body on the cross to see it. And we act as the agents of God when we remind each other of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus paid to cancel our sin debt. To remind ourselves that we are free from both the power and the penalty of sin. And we act as the agents of the enemy when we remind each other of our failures and try to keep others in bondage 
because of the past. Ephesians 1, 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Do you think about it? Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, you and I are accepted. Don't for a second allow a false teaching of men to steal from you your acceptance with God. The legalists are compromising the finished work of Christ and trying to get you to accomplish the impossible when Christ has accomplished it for you. The systems of men and the systems of the world are systems of work, but it's antichrist to teach acceptance with God by works. You are accepted by God. Remember, he took all of your sins. He took you, the source of it all, and he nailed it to the cross. He accepts you now as you are because he has forgiven you of all your sins. He has taken the blood of his son and he's blotted it out. He doesn't accept you because of your performance. He accepts you because of the performance of his son. And the next step is for you to accept yourself. God isn't condemning you and you shouldn't condemn yourself. You say, I know myself so well, how can I accept myself? Yep, people are quick to condemn and we are to agree. But if we bask in the love of God, people might think we're condoning sin. But nothing of this sort. What do you think we are? It's not my place to condone or to condemn. That's the place reserved for God. It's really incredible arrogance when we put ourselves in the place of God, condoning or condemning. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And listen, you are worse than you think. He accepts us because of the blood of Christ. God says to you today, if the blood of my son is good enough for me, why isn't it good enough for you? Forgive yourself just as God does and make peace with yourself. He is forgiving you of all. Second, or Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10 say, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Christ is the fullness of God. Listen carefully. You are complete in Him. And when something is complete, you don't add anything to it. I have a friend and co-worker in Vietnam, and he was a chef, a well-known chef in San Francisco before he went into the ministry. And he still has this great passion for food. And he'll make, make a recipe, and he'll have us all over. And I like to mess with him. I like to, to go in the kitchen and grab ketchup salt and pepper, and I'll say, hey, you know, I think maybe we should add some of this to this. He says, heck no, if you touch it, I'll break your arm. <laughs> because when I say it's complete, it's complete. You add anything to it, and you mess up the recipe. Listen, friends, when you try to add to God's recipe, you're messing things up. In Christ is the fullness of God and you are complete in him. When something is complete, you don't add to it. Listen, I've met people who accept themselves, but they fail to understand that God accepts others in the same way. Fear will always cause more failure. 
Listen, it is when we find perfect acceptance that we perform better. Your marriage and relationship with others will be transformed if you accept this truth. That you have peace with God because of what Jesus accomplished. You have peace with yourself because of what Jesus accomplished. And you can have peace with others because of what Jesus accomplished. We must resist every temptation to be like the debtor who had been forgiven by his master a great debt and wouldn't forgive others their small debt. Forgive for your own sake because the bitterness only affects you. All that God has for you, he has for others. You are seated now in the heavenlies, but so is your spouse. He has forgiven all. Born dead, but alive with God. Now, you came in here this morning, and you may not have known you were born dead. You may not have been aware of your spiritual birth defect, but the Bible makes it clear every single one of us were born dead. And you can't do anything to help yourself. I'm here to tell you, you cannot improve your spiritual condition by anything you might attempt. But you have someone who loves you, And he gave his all for you so that he could say, you're all forgiven. He says, listen, bring the certificate, the file, all of the debts, as thick as it may be, and he will blot it out. He'll mark it paid in full. Jesus is calling you and inviting you to receive this wonderful gift of restoration. Completeness in him. Accepted in the beloved because of what he's done for you. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, Brother Tim, I don't even know, you know, I don't even know about this whole Jesus thing. I don't know about my sins being paid for. I I know I've got them. He says, listen, come. Let me cleanse you. Let me forgive you of all. Let me take your file and market paid. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I know that he marked my file paid. But maybe you've been trying to relate to other people and you've got a false copy of their file. You want to make sure that they don't do the same thing. Maybe they hurt you with their sin. You say, listen, I got to make sure they don't forget what they've done so they don't hurt me again. It doesn't work that way. Bring those false copies, put them on the altar and say, I'm going to forgive and to accept just like Jesus does. If Jesus says it's paid in full, I'm going to say it's paid in full. Whatever it is, we need to do business with God. Let him do what we cannot do. Put those files down on the altar and leave them where they belong, paid in full. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want you to have an invitation this way. I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart this morning. I don't know the spiritual condition of every person here this morning. But I do know this. God does love you. He has a place in his hand for you where he can coo at you. And he dealt with all of the sin issues so that he could keep you there, cleanse you, and coo at you some more. 
Can you do anything to deserve it? No, you'll just make a mess. But he'll cleanse you so he can coo at you because you're his. You can come into this place spiritually dead and you can leave full of the life of God in you. You can come with a file thick and you can leave with the file that says paid in full. If you're here this morning, you say, I don't know. I'm not sure that I have Jesus. I'm not sure that I have eternal life, but I want that. I want to know my file has been paid in full. In this time of invitation, I, I want to ask you to come. Come up to the front and let somebody show you how you can know. But maybe you're here and you say, I know my file has been paid in full, but I've been carrying this file from my spouse or my kids or my neighbor or another brother and sister in Christ, and I've just got to get rid of this file. It's too much of a burden for me. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and say, here is the file that you marked paid in full. I don't want to be the agent of the enemy anymore. I release it all. As Brother Dalton sings and the piano plays, if God spoke into your heart, would you come? Would you respond? Would you lay down the files and accept your acceptance in him? Who's saying, you come.